You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This week's episode of Culture Cappuccino. As always, Kristen Kubo, Dre Cordero, Aaron West here, and Marco Messina. We will be running through the match day 16 recap with a look ahead to this weekend. We had uh, 10 total fixtures in one single day. So it was pure drugs, drugs. Um, but uh, I am joined uh, by Dre here. And I think we're going to start uh, this hour. Uh, hour? Is it an hour? I don't know. With uh, the big uh, Napoli Inter match, because that seems to be uh, the biggest bang from yesterday um, as we try to jog back through our own paces. Like Hanging in there today, Dre? I like that you're channeling your inner like radio host. It's like, we'll start this hour. Uh, no, I think Inter um, and Napoli is a really good place to start, right? Because we were all wondering, like, when was Napoli going to suffer that first loss? I don't know that any of us really expected them to go undefeated for the season. But what I'm curious about is who's jumping off the bandwagon? Like, who is, you know, hitting the ejection seat, you know, one loss after 52 days away from action uh, with Inter basically playing for their city lives this, this match, right? Because Inter were facing the prospect of being 14 points off the pace of the league leaders. They went into this game without um, Brozovic, who we've talked about how important he is uh, in past episodes. And it really, I mean, for all the pukey sports cliches, it was as close to a January must-win match as Inter could have, given that their aspirations at the start of the season were not to finish top four, but to win the Scudetto, to you know bring back Lukaku because that was the missing piece. And Lukaku starts for the first time since August. I feel like there's so many really, really good storylines here. But to me, the biggest one is that Simone Inzaghi got it absolutely right. And we've been praising uh, Lucio Spalletti all season for the work that he's done and how much and how thoroughly Napoli have just dominated the team, whether it was in the Champions League or in Serie A. But this was a case in which without sort of dominating the match necessarily, right, because it, all the possession was was with um, Napoli and, and certainly they had a, you know, a handful of chances, um, I thought Inzaghi sort of channeled his inner Antonio Conte, gave us a version of Inter that looked like the version that won the Scudetto with an imperious Edin Dzeko, starting both the big guys up top, Dzeko, alongside Lukaku. Um, I thought the best of the match was the combination of the three center backs with Echerbi in the middle, Echerbi, um, Bastoni, and Skriniar. Uh, Nicolo Barella, who looks like the Barella that we saw at. Oh my the- God, Barella. <laughs> yeah. I feel like for him specifically, um, it hurt my heart that we didn't have an, an Italy presence at the World Cup because his, like, him showing as he did yesterday was just like, no, we deserve to see that. We, des- we deserve that. <laughs> 
Yeah, and so if if you're looking at the like Barilla Brozovic would have been you know the matchup that everybody wanted to see because they're so like important to um or that that the midfield is is is, is what makes basically Inter tick. Um, but Chalanoglu filled in uh, really admirably. And actually, like I'd love to get into some of the ways that they limited um, uh, Napoli because again, Napoli have been as good as they are. Um, but you saw the work defensively, uh, Aaron from Lukaku and from Eden Dzeko to deny that availability of Lobotka, right? Like Lobotka's made Napoli tick all season long. Um, they're talking about a contract extension for him. Granted, it's one game. I don't want to draw like huge declarative statements and conclusions from it, but to see the two inter strikers work defensively like they did to limit the metronome of Napoli, I thought was a credit to Inzaghi. To see Chalanoglu be that sort of uh, third option. Chalanoglu would sometimes follow uh, Lobotka into like the final third. Instead of sitting back deep like a regista or like a defensive midfielder, like he was there helping uh, Jeko and Lukaku put pressure on Lobotka. The work that they did on Kvarashtelia was just absolutely brilliant. Like they, they kicked him back to Georgia. Um, Skriniar, I think, intimidated him early on, was really physical. There was one moment in the 51st minute where, you know, Kavada's not having his best game. He actually ended up being substituted in the 76th. But around the 50th minute, um, he dribbles at Darmian. Darmian got the start. Uh, Skriniar is standing just behind Darmian, just salivating with like a club in his hand in case Kavada gets through. And Edin Dzeko is coming back. This is like right at the edge of the area. And they're putting three guys putting pressure on Kavada and frustrating him. So I just, I thought they got so much right from the tactics board and it was executed perfectly. I don't know how much that carries over for Inter into the following rounds. I don't know how much of that carries over for Napoli into the following rounds. But you gave Inzaghi 50 days to game plan for the most important match Inter have had this season, and they got it exactly right. Yeah, I, mean, I, I said this like on air. I said this on air yesterday. This, this Inter looked like Antonio Conte's Inter. It looked like the, the Inter we saw under Simone Inzaghi from the beginning kind of that that same intensity of Conte's inter but still the creativity the the freedom the way that they were pressing yesterday you could like see the fear in Kvara's eyes every time he got the ball like it was like you said it was Darmian immediately on him and then Skriniar just waiting Barella barreling towards him just ready to just eat him up the two the work from the two strikers yesterday was insane we were uh Marco and I and, and the rest of the the uh the gang were, were a little bit, we, we weren't sure about that partnership of, of Jekko and, and Lukaku, two big guys, but in practice, it was fantastic. The way that they complemented each other, the way that they moved up each other, the way that they seemed like they'd be playing with, been playing with each other for years. Like I'd be a little bit worried if I was Latata coming back. Because <laughs> the way those guys played together was fantastic. They, they just looked, as a team, they looked so hungry and unified and for as bad as I think the break was for Napoli, breaking their stride, getting breaking that rhythm, uh, it was fantastic for Inter. You could tell <laughs> they definitely put some sort of work in on the training ground over the holiday, over the break, and they looked man, they looked so good. I'm not ready to jump off the Napoli bandwagon. That's I think that's foolish. I think number one, we have to like caveat the initial expectations for Napoli is like, yes, they're playing fantastic. But I think we've all warned, this is still Napoli. <laughs> this yeah. is still, I mean, this but also is this is their a, first a loss. Will, and it was against them with Inter, pressure you know? as it gets closer and closer. It's, it's been six weeks though. It's been six weeks without them kicked, having kicked the ball as a team. Some of them went to the world cup. Some of them didn't. Uh, they're playing an Inter at home. Like Dre said, under so much pressure. Um, uh, 
So no, I don't think we can draw any definitive conclusions from this, except that there's a lot to hope for from Inter fans. I think, I think that's a very strong conclusion we can draw from this one. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, I agree. I, I think that, you know, when you think about just how the game needed to go, we all, I think, except Poppy, had Inter at least getting a point in this one. Just throwing Poppy into the can we, can we Can we add Poppy into this uh, into this link right now, or what? No, but it's, and the reason why the reason why I say that is just because, like, when you think about what needed to go right for Inter, they had lost five games this season, and you know we're we're fifteen rounds in, right? Sixteen rounds in, whatever it is, and they they only lost four games all of last year. And the games that they lost were all to the top eight. It was all the direct matchups that this is a team, an inter side that needs to compete, that needs to be in the school at the race. This was a huge moment for them to come out and say, hey, we are going to challenge and at least get a point against the top team, the, the best team in the league. And that attitude, I thought, from top to bottom. Inzaghi got it perfectly right. And he had 11 men on the pitch who all fought as one. And that's what I loved. Inter have the second best attack in the league. So I wasn't really scored about their, I wasn't scared about their goal scoring. And the fact that they got Lukaku back, which I still think Lukaku is amazing in what he provides. My fear was defensively because they conceded too many goals, which was uncharacteristic of what I expect from an Inter side. They did that so well against Napoli yesterday. And they're such a scary team when they get going and they look possessed. They like, they literally look like they had this, in their this fire in their eyes that they were not going to to be beat. So this inter side did did amazing. I also do think I know we had this discussion yesterday on air. I do think it was a little bit as well of Napoli just not performing on the night as well. It's credit to how they were limited, but at the same time, I do think that Napoli slipped up in a in a sense too. Oh, yeah, yeah, so I'm, no. I'm happy you said that because like all right, so there's a sense that oh, it's Napoli and and you know you don't expect them to run away with it and yada yada. But I think like you show respect to Napoli by treating them like the favorites. And when the favorite slips up and doesn't play well and doesn't like live up to the expectation and the hype that they've set for themselves, I think you hold them to account. Like this was not a good Napoli side. This was not a good Napoli performance, I should say. It's very horizontal, a lot of side-to-side passing. Like they wouldn't, they were afraid to take risks. They seemed to get intimidated by, so the Curva was back and, and united at, at San Siro for this, for this match for the first time in a long time. Um, sort of a new look. They got rid of all like the individual banners and now just have like one long hundred uh, meter banner that, um, that sort of talks about their unity so it was loud it was aggressive but i thought napoli shrunk like, yeah maybe it was a little bit of rust a little ring rust but the the side to side passing that we saw the disproportionate amount of touches that the defenders were getting just in their own half like yeah, you could have 70 percent possession but if you have it all in your own half between minje and ramani and by the way ramani looked really really rusty i can understand why spalletti went with him because he's one of the better defenders in Serie A, but he did not he wasn't him. expected to start as well like i, I was when I, we're reading into it one of the good things was, of course, Krakamani coming back, but he was coming back off injury. So yeah. I was surprised. I mean, I get it compared to Juan Jesus, but yeah, I, I agree with that. And then on the other side of that, like, yeah, that may be like a really feel-good moment for Inter in that their Scudetto dreams weren't completely sort of just short of mathematically, um, you know, dashed. But also like the to highlight the enormity of the task that Inter still have ahead of them if they are talking Scudetto. Marco, you talked about those those four losses. They, they lost four games in the first eight rounds this season, right? So, like, they were ninth place, eight points off the pace, having this disastrous season after match day eight. They've turned it around. They've won seven of the last eight, right? So seven wins, one uh, loss, and no draws in the last eight games. 
they're up to fourth place during Champions League position. They're still eight points back. They're exactly the same number of points back as they were after eight rounds from, from Napoli, which speaks to just how good Napoli have been when it comes to adding up points and just how difficult the task still is for Inter. Like, I'm not buying Inter in the Scudetto race just yet unless we see, you know, a string of two, three of these kinds of performances where they look like they Inter that didn't win a Scudetto. My, my man, Dre said... Wait, hold up, hold up. <laughs> yeah, this is too amicable. This don't, is all too amicable. Don't, don't put them in that race yet. Don't you do it. <laughs> I think also defensively, though, is the, the worry. Like, I was looking at how many goals they conceded in their first 15 last year, and I believe it was eight goals less than what they did at this point. And, yes, I know they had this poor start um, to the season, obviously. Uh, Champions League, they, they look really good. I still think, though, like, from from – I think that Serie A, it's such a competitive top four, right? So all four of the teams that we have, the, the Milans, the Napoli, the Inter, and the Juventus, no one is running away with it. And I would not be surprised by who wins it between the four. Like, I would not be like, wow, I can't believe Milan did it. Milan were able to come back into it. All of them have something about their teams that as the season continues to progress, and we're still only 16 matches into this. yeah. It would be historic. I, I, I think it would, it would be, be way too early. Inter, if Inter come back from an eight-point deficit, or they were even further back at the start of the year, 11 points off the pace. If Inter were to come back from a double-digit deficit to win the Scudetto, that would be historic. Like you say, you wouldn't it's be like what Juventus did a couple of years ago. Sorry? I, I, on it, it's like what Juventus did a couple of years ago yeah, when, in the when middle, they started in, really in, poorly. And it was historic. It was in the middle of a nine yeah. consecutive Scudetti run. That's what I'm saying. Like that's it's not the kind of thing. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. I would be surprised. Like just I would have told you in like 2011 or whatever that I would be surprised to see Juve win nine consecutive Scudetti. Like you're sure it happened, <laughs> but I would be surprised to see it happen. Just as I would be surprised to see Inter turn around, given how much ground they have to make up, given that they've won seven of the last eight and are exactly where they were in terms of points back from the league leaders. I think things can change like extremely quickly. I believe that they have the squad to do it. I guess is, is how I, That's believe. Fair. I believe right. in, I believe in Inzaghi and I believe that he's, they haven't done things the right way and they're still within touching distance. I get that it's a lot of points still to make up, but there's also a lot of time. And that's also considering that Napoli continues on this incredible run, which we still don't know if they will. Under, under Antonio Conte, um, and, and when Inter have been at their best in recent seasons, the, the role of the three center backs has been sort of everything, right? Like they usually play like in a, in a mid block, like they're not that, that deep back. Um, the, the center backs are a little bit higher up the pitch because they're sending a lot of long balls up to Lukaku, in this case, Edin Dzeko. Like that direct line, uh, there was a pass from Acerbi, who was basically level with his own 18-yard box, um, to Lukaku, who's in opposition territory on just a direct counterattack. That was just magic from the 35 year the uh, Bastoni can distribute passes out of the back and can also, you know, get forward and link up. Like if, if this is the inter that we see going forward, which is not the inter we've seen under Inzaghi, Inzaghi prefers shorter passes. He wants more possession. Again, we said he's channeled his, his inner Antonio Conte because this looked like, like Conte's team, long boss to Lukaku, really stretching defenses, the physicality of the forward, making it, making it difficult for them. Um, that's an inter that I think, you know, secure firmly in the top four. I, I still think it's probably too much ground to make up, but at least, it's it looks like one that we have seen win in the past i agree i think that right now as a squad they look very cohesive and that's obviously integral to them winning but um more importantly i think the inzaghi that you get has been the greater sort of tip of the scales um i had argued in the past back and forth whether you know where Conti was able to build this like excellent foundation, um, you know, like 
can Inzaghi be the one that builds the house on it? Um, and would say yes, but then you see these pockets of sort of like inexplicable. Now, is it limitation? Is it, you know, what what else is transpiring? But like the more he leans into that Conte formula, um, they achieve. Victor Osimhen is still being followed around by a Chevy today. Like as he's going around, <laughs> like running his errands, he went to the corner store. Like he's still being followed around by a Chetabi everywhere that he goes. Like a Chetabi really had him in his pocket. In Which to your point, like even a Chetabi looked like, and we were talking a little bit before we jumped on the pod, like uh, Andre had pointed out, you know, like a Chetabi looks amazing for a Chetabi. <laughs> also all worth noting that, uh, and I don't want to stereotype too much, but uh, Neapolitans are notoriously superstitious people. Mm-hmm. And on, you know, early in December, a certain uh, Canadian rapper, uh, put on a vintage Napoli zip, and the very first official match that Napoli plays after that, uh, they lose for the first time all season. So, well, you know, know what's funny? We <laughs> we have some Napoli Dani that that work with us, and I spoke to Gio yesterday. You guys all know Gio. Uh, he he, uh, I, I asked him yesterday. I said, oh, oh, you know what happened? He goes, No, no, don't worry. He had some stat pulled out that they've always lost their first game in the opening <laughs> New Year, and they could still get back. So. Don't worry, they, they have that solved, right? <laughs> I'm uh, I'm still high on Napoli. For me, they'd have to with like the next two for me to jump off the bandwagon. I think that they're going to still come back hammering. If anything, they're going to take this loss as a significant lesson. Um, although I too was uh, Spalletti chewing my pen cap in the the latter part of that match yesterday. It was it was hard to watch. <laughs> We should probably move on from that game um, because there was a, a CONCACAF debutante in uh, Syria. Uh, and then for this time, it wasn't an American, right? It wasn't. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Memo Ochoa covering himself in glory despite uh, Salernitana's uh, 2-1 loss to Milan. Probably a lot to pick at here as well, like good and bad um, for Milan. But Memo Ochoa is probably a good place to start because uh, his you know very first game following the World Cup, his, his debut in Serie uh, gives up a goal to lay out 10 minutes in, in which I, I don't, I wouldn't kill him for it. Um, I think he was in a bad, sort of put in a bad spot because the defense sort of fell asleep. Leal is running through, you know, free and he's got a decision to make and he decided to come out and Leal just easily touches the ball past him and on a tight angle scores. It makes the goalkeeper look bad. I don't know that it was a huge blunder by Memo Ochoa, but after giving up a goal 10 minutes in, after falling behind 2-0 after 15 minutes, he came Tonali. up with unbelievable saves, right? Tonali yeah, made it um, made it to, I think, um, Brahim Diaz, I think, had the assist for Tonali. Yeah, I, but all in, yeah. Memo with nine saves, okay? So he really, I mean, Salernitana really could have had, um, really had a, racked up like a double-digit uh goal fest on behalf yeah, not of just not just the number of saves also but the, the quality of the saves right like, he, yes. like there's no like i'm still trying to figure out how Giroud did not get on the score sheet yesterday like the, the the number of shots that he took from inside the area as hard as he hit them um memo had a couple of double saves as well like i'm not the biggest memo show fan but i thought he was brilliant uh, for salernitana on his debut i love memo i acknowledge that he has typically had a bit of a ledge between his national team duty performances and club. However, um, I do love him. And I think that he will be um, a huge boost for Salernitana for this, at least next six months that he's contracted. Um, But yeah, he's got a lot of heavy heavy lifting to do (laughs) in contrast. So we'll see. I don't know who, who else is on the, the memo, um, celebratory welcome committee with me fear that we're gonna see a lot of these types of games where it's like six seven eight fantastic memo saves and then it's like 
Salernitana win loses 3-2 or <laughs> loses 3-1. Uh, I, I think we're going to see a lot of those. I always loved Ochoa. I mean, we, we had this conversation yesterday on, uh, on you know, players that perform more for their national team than they do in their club teams, right? It's always a funny, it's always a funny debate. And I mean, not, not to, uh, you know, cry over spoiled milk, but, you know, we use like Immobile as the counter example of someone who doesn't do it for his national team and then for his club he does, right? And I, I, I mean, I love Ochoa. I think it's, it's hilarious that I have, personal friends of mine uh, who are Mexican and are messaging me about Salernitana now, like to hey. watch their game. I just think <laughs> Listen, that's I'll really fun. All the gateway ambassadors we can get. I love that. <laughs> me too. Me too. I'm all for it. But, uh, but yeah, it, it's great. And I, I mean, I think obviously Milan were too strong and again, Laos being the first one to score in 2023, I thought made a lot of sense just for the type of player that he is. When we were watching him, I think just like the sentiment was, I felt like I was watching a player playing a league of his own. I mean, just the way that he burst past defenders, the skill that he that he has to do that, um, and the ease in which he he can do it. I feel like I'm watching a superstar almost every time that I watch Leao. And I know there's always argument, and we we have said it in the past, which is fair, that there's some games that you know he doesn't show up and he doesn't have like a solid six or seven out of ten performance. Right? He usually has these like eight or nine and then sometimes he's he's poor but i feel like we are witnessing the start of a really uh huge player in our league i feel like Leao has like this ability to show up though even with like the scant playing time that he had during the world cup like he was creating an impact and i think that uh for him he understands his role and importance in doing that but also like you know, I think a little bit of it is like, hey, you know what? Like, if this is what I have to to work with here and these are the minutes that I'm getting, then like, I'm going to show out, which is, I love that. Yeah, he scored two minutes in against Fiorentina in the last game before the World Cup. Comes back from the World Cup and scores 10 minutes in to his first game back against Salernitana. Um, I, I don't know how much he has left to prove in Italy, which I think is maybe a little bit of a concern for uh, for, for Milan fans. Um, but I do think that if they want to sell him, the best thing you could do is extend him, right? Because his contract mm-hmm. runs out in 2024, and I think his price goes up significantly if you have him locked down for for much, much longer. I think that's probably what Maldini uh, is trying to do. I don't, I don't know that they believe they're going to be able to keep him long term, but um, I'm not trying to like channel my inner uh, Fabrizio Romano. I just, I suspect <laughs> that the idea is to like sign him before you eventually deal him to Chelsea or wherever that is. Okay, let me ask you guys a question. Um, if you're Roberto Mancini, is, is Sandro Tonali a locked starter for you with the Italy national team right now? Because he was absolutely, like we can talk about Leao all day. I thought Tonali was man of the match. I love, love Tonali. Uh, I agree with you. I think that, his leadership and, um, you know, one thing, and it's always funny with young players, he had this, when he started on Milan, uh, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, he's too young to be in this position. He has cemented himself in a player that looks like a true leader for Milan. And for the Italian national team, the one great thing that Italy does have is great midfielders, which does make the debate tough. But I think that he is becoming that player because you need an anchor, you need a workhorse. And he's got the talent but he also puts in the hustle into his game and to do it for Milan and to have won the Scudetto, you just build so much experience and leadership that I think in the Italian national team, we do need. That's an awesome job of not answering the question, right? Like I didn't ask you if you loved Tonali. I asked you if, if he starts for, for, yes. starts. well, it's, it's a tough one because of how many great players we actually do have in our midfield. Like it's a, it's, I mean, so Barilla, yes. okay. Barilla's okay. a lot. I say that he'll, he'll start. 
Yeah, Verati, Verati for me always starts. Okay, that that doesn't leave very many places. I know that's why. So between Tonali, Locatelli, um, Pellegrini, who I'm still such a huge fan of, like the rotation of them is great. If you need to put in a more defensive uh, performance, and yeah, Tonali is a lock. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential, and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love. You transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, Roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey everyone, this is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. Men's National Team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast, And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also, just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Viore gear is designed to look great in everyday life, while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the men's Sunday performance jogger. And don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viore.com sports and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. I think he's always think, in the rotation and always, like, if you're, if you're playing three midfielders, he's probably a starter. Um, if you're playing a pivot, I'm not sure, but, I like, there is an embarrassment of riches in Italy's midfield right now, you have to say. Yeah, we always do 4-3-3. Three, three. So we got, at least we get three to choose from. Um, the two that I said, Barella and Verratti, I would never move. I would never, never move. Uh, just because I think that they're too good. Uh, if we're talking like about I'm like more, right now. I'm more fixed on Barella than Verratti, honestly. And I don't know if it's just like my own personal bias. <laughs> Dre, you think, uh, you think he's a lot? It's literally because he doesn't play in Serie A and has never played in Serie A. Christine, you have a Serie A bias. It's yeah. fine. It's okay. Uh, I think I think Verratti and Barella are a lock, and I think the fact that those two guys are a lock means Tonali is on the outside looking in. Like I just because I would want a more attack-minded um, third central midfielder with uh, Barella and, and uh, Verratti. So that would leave guys like um, Locatelli and um, and uh, and Tonali probably on the outside looking in. Mm. And if, if Fantasy was in better form, I think he would probably be in my in my three man Italian midfield. Um, speaking of Locatelli, yeah, 
I was right on that chair. I'm like, let's let's move on to uh, <laughs> the uh, Juve Cremonese um, match. Yeah, it's well, yeah, we can still call that a match. It was an interesting one because it's now uh, Juve's seventh um, consecutive match unbeaten. Um, though it did not look like it could have, should have been, perhaps. So seven, um, seven straight wins, not, not just to me, right? So they've won the yeah. last seven out of nowhere. And it's, it's, it's like, it's not that um, difficult to, to sort of analyze. Well, maybe if we get more in depth, but basically they just don't concede goals. Like Juventus currently do not concede goals. They've won all seven games via clean sheets. They, they hardly give up shots on goal, let alone goals. Like the goalkeeper, whether it's Chesney or, or Mathieu Perrin, are insanely protected. Um, for you, you may hate um, Allegri style. You may have been part of the sort of Allegri out brigade. But when an Allegri team is playing the way that Allegri wants, you simply don't score against them. Mm-hmm. And that's you get the fear of like, oh, well, if they go up early enough, then we might as well go for a walk or something because the rest of the game is going to be uh, really boring. This was the opposite. This was nil-nil until, you know, beyond the 90th minute. Yeah. <clears throat> so an Arik Milik uh, free kick, which was a sort of a weird free kick as well, right? He gets set to... I, I, you rarely see players from that angle go for the bottom corner. <laughs> it's because the wall defense, was the worst like, yeah. wall we've seen in <laughs> about wall, six or seven years. <laughs> yeah, that wall was definitely like relegation vintage construction, duct tape and prayers. Like it was. It's like the famous uh, Roman ruins uh, of Italy was the, the wall in front of it. It was worthy it was of such a janky wall. You could like see the goalkeeper looking through the gaps <laughs> in it, like, oh, here's the ball. I, it's probably going to go in, but there it is. <laughs> I mean, bless him. But yeah, it, it took the pocket change minutes to get a goal um, out of Milik. Well, the rest of Juve, too. Um, I don't know. It wasn't for me. It wasn't all that dazzling of a match. I I want more and better, uh, especially against Cremonese. I mean, I, also, I want I want the Weston McKinney that we see play for the U.S. Um, play for Juventus. Like, I, and I know that that's got to do with Allegri. You know, he's got sort of a, has a bit of a different role. Even though Allegri, when he you know came back, the first thing that he said about uh, McKinney is that he liked that he had goals in his legs. But it just McKinney just seems I mean, compared to what we see when he plays with the United States, and obviously you know much bigger role for him. He's, he's one of the leaders and sort of like the spirit animal of of the USA uh, national team. Um, but he's just so within himself when he plays for for Juve, and he's so rarely arriving in the areas that like um, late arriving run or just crashing into the box to to create the the kind of chaos that we see him do with the U.S. national team and the range of passing and playmaking that we see when he plays for the Americans. I think that it to add to the extra layer there is we also saw a different McKenney under Pirlo. And I think that that was probably the better freer McKenney um, than under Allegri. And I mean, yeah, like I've been rooting for him all along. Um, I think he certainly has it in him. Um, it's nice to know that Allegri still has that vote of confidence in McKenney. Um, I just, you know, I, I want to see him happy and doing his wacky goals and making those runs again and just, um, yeah, longing for some of that, like, fresh legs from when his he first arrived in Serie A. I don't want to speculate too much, but I, I low-key think we see a man who is on his way out. I don't, I don't think he's, like, I've seen a lot of rumors swirling around when this is not a rumor mill, but from what I see on the outside, very much on the outside, it looks like he's moving on. <laughs> it just looks like that to me. Yeah, I'm with I'm with Aaron. I really uh, I, I think that they're desperately trying to sell him in January for funds uh, at the moment. At least that's what a lot of the reports are saying in Italy. 
And I don't know how big the place will be. I think if he stays, uh, he has a lot to contribute to the team. But I think, you know, if you talk about what Juventus has going on behind the scenes as well, there he's the one midfielder that they could actually raise money for. So I do think that they're they're trying to to let him go in January, but I don't know if it'll happen or not. All right, this seems like a good place then to inject this uh, little uh, CIES study that I was looking at earlier today, right? Because the, the transfer window has opened uh, for January, uh, where, where people are talking uh, in transfer news, which is my most hated time of the year. I absolutely hate the Mercato, but it, it is what it is. It's open. It's part of the business. So it's like sort of grit your teeth and bear it. I um, love I'm just seeing how pained Dre is having is, to do yeah. this. <laughs> my face is contorted. Like, yeah. it's just, like it's, why would you do this to me? I'm how dare sweating. you? Like, it's, just not, it's not comfortable. Um, but uh, I did find a list compiled by CIS. A study they go through their methodology is pretty interesting. They you know take into account uh, you know players' ages, the the level they're playing at, the length of their current contract, all of these sort of variables that will um, impact the transfer value of a player. And in the 100, according to this study, in the 100 top valued players on the planet, there's only nine Serie A players. And I was a little bit surprised, not necessarily by the nine, but by the order of, of these nine. And so like, I'd love to know if you guys could, hopefully you haven't seen the study yet, you're not cheating uh, going on online. Uh, if you could try and guess between the three of you who the podium is and what the order of the podium is. The, the three most uh, valuable players, you know, given their contract, given their age, given the level they're playing at in Syria. Sheesh. Okay. Um... You just got to think about who's uh, who's linked to Premier League teams. Well, this, I, one's, I, I, this one's I, tough because you I, said I, all I, the factors, like yeah. their age, length of okay. contract, which immediately for me that like takes Rafa Leao out of it because his contract is up, up mm-hmm. in 24, right? Leao uh, I, the, you got to think about like players who are four? relatively young, probably attackers or midfielders, probably longer contracts. So that like, I'm, off the top of my head, I'm trying to think of like players. Okay, Vlaovic has to be on there. Yeah, Vlaovic has to be in the top three. Um, um, Lautaro? Lautaro's yes. been That's a Marcia. really good shout, actually, because he just signed a new contract, didn't he? He's like recently uh, in the last 26. few months. Yeah, he's got, okay, so uh, that he, sounds like he a good and show. Blachowicz are locked in until 2026, which has a lot to do with because Latoro's 20, mm, but also he's not he's not the youngest player on this yeah. list. By yeah, um, but both of those are Milinkovic Savic is how old? Who is Milinkovic Savic is like 28, 29. I think so. Okay, I don't think he'd be on here. How old is Barella? I was saying, is Barella like, is he really that young? But it is 25. He's yeah. almost 26, actually. He, he just signed a new contract recently, though. Barella's a, a good show. I like yeah. Barella. So you guys nailed it um, with three t- tries. With three tries, you nailed it. Really? Top. Can you get the order? It's Lautaro. Well, uh, Lautaro Barella. Or no, Lautaro. Oh, I thought Blauvich. Blauvich. Barella. Blauvich, Barella. Oh. This, is, and- this is an absolute chaos. It's my own fault. I was like, can you guys guess? And then I was just going to say the word. <laughs> uh, Lautaro. <laughs> Uh, Vlahovic <laughs> yeah. and uh, Nicolo Barella. Now, Taro uh, comes in at uh, 87 and a half million euro. Uh, Vlahovic hey. at 82.4 and Barella at 80.1. The rest of the list is wild to me. And, and so, granted, this is a list of 100, right? And so, Lautaro being the top among the Serie A players comes in at 29th overall. So, no wow. uh, Serie A players in the top 20. So, is it Premier League heavy? Um, I, I'm not going to go through the 100, yeah. but yes, of course, the Premier League yeah. players like uh Jude Bellingham is actually the number one most valuable player according to, to the study. Again, age, length of contract, interest from your uh, from, from Premier League mm. clubs. Um, but Leal comes in at number four and 60th overall. Like Aaron said, the contract expiring in 2024 would have a lot yeah. to do with that. 
Um, yeah, Lau would have been my number one. Yeah, and without the my contract, first Lau would have been the, my first my yeah. first prediction. They have they have him at, valued at sixty seven point three million euro, which is why you know they love to sort of lock him up to a long term deal um, that would drive that price up. Uh, Teo Hernandez is next. Oh, so he's fifth. I forgot about him. Five. Okay, um, that's Tonali, a good one. That's a good shot. Tonali, Tonali sixth. Is then, he? Then Tammy Abraham. All right. Oh boy. When was this list compiled? Raspadori comes in at number eight among Serie A players. Uh, he's only 22 years old, I think, and, and on their contract until 2027. And then rounding out the list of Serie A players on this, uh, Bastoni, which wow. shouldn't come as a surprise. But okay. He's, so wait, know. Raspadori is the youngest among them then? Uh, Raspadori and Tonali are both, and, and Vlahovic are all 22 oh, years old. Oh, right. I don't, I don't in know In my brain, Vlahovic is older than he is. I don't know why it's like well, he that. Looks, he looks like a player from the 1930s. He does. Mm-hmm. It's like, he also looks it's like he's 35, and I'd believe him. <laughs> Vlahovic looks like he plays with a leather ball and one of those kicks. <laughs> Maybe it's his hair. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the hair. <laughs> It's, Wait, so it's literally everything Italian. about him. Like he has, he has the old school face, like the classic features. He has the hair, like he just looks like. Literally, right. if you if you like... threw if you if you did the the single part down the middle, slicked it back, and threw like a pinstripe, a, a baggy pinstripe suit on him, and took a black and white photo, you would not be able to tell the difference between you could him easily, and his like, slot him in uh, like reruns of the Honeymooners and not notice. If and when we send Marco, Great show. Marco or Aaron. To, to Italy to interview Vlahovic and he does it in English. He's going to sound like an old timey gangster. It's going to be that Chappelle show, like it's how I talk. See, yeah, like, that's the look <laughs> that you get from Dushan Vlahovic. <laughs> oh my God! Wait, so Dre, amongst the Italians, Barella was first as the most no, valuable. No, no, oh, among the Italians, yeah, um, yeah. Oh wow. One and two, one and two were Lautaro and Vlahovic. But I'm not, I'm oh, not okay. too surprised by that. I mean, Barella is uh, like Barella for me. Is, I would have thought Chiesa. But I guess the injury? That's an interesting one, actually. I, I, yeah. I don't know why. I would have guessed Geza first. The, the long injury wow. has something to do with that. Like, but it wow. to me is very, very close to... We have given you guys my definition of, like, my very specific definition of world-class, which the player, I believe, would start on any... Didn't matter where he went, went to Bayern Munich, went to Real Madrid, went to Barcelona, he would start on that team. But Ella, for me, is, if not very close to that, already there as, as one of those world-class players that could start okay. for any team. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, his contract expires in 2025, which would drop his value a bit, which is probably why it makes sense. Yeah, between the injury and then that. Yeah, but Bastoni, Bastoni's contract expires in 2024. Oh, yeah. wow. Which, which of those guys would you suspect is more valuable? Chiesa. <laughs> Chiesa. Is this a good place to say goodbye? I mean, well, <laughs> let's run through. We've got, uh, obviously, full coverage starting on Saturday uh, from 11.30 a.m. We've got Matteo Bonetti and Dre Cordero on the call for Juve at noon. Um, Sunday, again, also 11.30 a.m. onward. Um, P-plus both days. Uh, Saturday, Juve Udinese. You can also catch on CBS Sports Network. And if you've not yet subscribed, um, we have uh, the promo code still for a 30-day free trial. Set it off. Um, I guess we can uh, comfortably stop here. Um, We will catch you next week. Um, Thank you from all of us, um, Marco, Aaron, Dre, and I. um, Ciao a tutti. Until we see you again next week. Ciao. See ya.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.